you turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and I want to continue my series entitled Overcomer, Overcomer, Being an Overcomer, and what we've learned thus far is that God expects us, wants us to live an overcoming life. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and what Christ has done on the cross for us gives us the opportunity and potential certainly the possibility of us living an overcoming life. Now, before I get started this morning, I want to tell you that your mind is a very important thing. And you never check your mind out at the door when you come to church. And God, he wants you to use your mind in a way that glorifies him. Now, Paul the Apostle tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that your mind is a very powerful thing. And the truth is, we've got to take care of our mind. You know, our mind has been redeemed. Romans chapter 8 tells us that now our mind is controlled. If our mind is controlled by the Spirit, then we have life and we have peace. And there's a lot of people that are struggling today with anxiety and fear. There's a lot of people that are struggling with depression. In fact, it's an epidemic today amongst our young people. And no wonder why when we see all the things that are happening around us. And yet at the same time, God tells us that we can have peace, that, that, that the peace of God, the peace of God in our life can guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand that our mind has been redeemed. It's been, it's been redeemed by the Lord. And now it needs to be renewed. And the things that you put in your mind, the things that you dwell on, are going to very much determine, in a lot of ways, how you react to the things that happen in your life. That's why Paul the Apostle says, don't, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard, will guard your mind. Because so much of what happens begins in the mind. You know, Jane, uh, Peter tells us that we're to add to our faith knowledge. And knowledge empowers us. And as a man thinks, so he is. And um, so as you think about the scripture today, as you absorb the scripture today, I want you to recognize that your mind is a, such an important thing. And what you think about this week, what you dwell upon this week, as Paul says, you know, all the things that are honest and good and of good report and Think about these things, and, and then the peace of God will guard your heart and, and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so I want us to engage our mind today. I want us to protect our mind throughout the week, and I want us to recognize the importance of renewing our mind. We need to renew our mind. We need to refocus our mind. That means that, that we've got to change the channel in our mind because our mind can take us to places that we, we should not go. Our mind can take us to places that if we begin to dwell on those things, it's going to create death in us. As the Bible says, the mind governed, the mind governed by the flesh, the mind governed by the old nature, the mind governed by the things of this world. You know, he says, don't be conformed to the, to the, the patterns of this world, the philosophies of this world. Don't be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So to this week, I want to challenge you to change the channel. You may have to literally, physically change the channel on your TV. But so often, we have to change the channel in our mind. That we've got to catch ourselves, And we've got to say, man, I'm thinking about this, and this is not healthy. I'm focusing on this, and it's not healthy. I, I can't tell you how, how often I've got to catch myself, because I talk to myself all the time. I mean, you talk to yourself more than anybody else talks to you, right? Some of you do it out loud and you're just weird, you know? But, but for the most part, all of us, you know, we talk to ourselves in our mind and, and we've got to learn how to change the channel. We've got to learn to say, no, that's not good. That's not healthy thinking, you know? That's, that's not good thinking. That's not biblical thinking. That's not thinking that's going to help me to grow in my faith. And, and, and that thinking is going to lead me to a place that I don't want to go, all right? So now I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 14, and we're going to continue to look at Romans 8 because I believe it's the most powerful chapter in all of the Bible. Romans chapter 8, 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, we've been working our way through the entire chapter of Romans, and, and Paul tells us because of what Jesus did on the cross and through the, his resurrection and through the Holy Spirit, now we live an overcoming life. And so I want you one more time to stand up and we're going to do it again and we're going to do it until you get sick and tired of doing this. Amen. But I want you to stand to your feet and we're going to recite together the Overcomer's Creed. All right. Are you ready? Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory and because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and because the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us, and because God is our Father and we are His children, I am no longer condemned. I am, no longer condemned. I am free from sin and death. I am complete in Christ. I have a new mind. I live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I am a child of God Almighty. I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. My present situation could never compare to my future glory. God is at work right now in my present situation. I'm becoming more like Jesus every day. God is for me. And no, one, and no one, and no one can stand against me. Jesus is my mediator and my chief intercessor. Nothing, nothing will ever separate me from God's incredible love. And the Yankees are coming back next year. Come on, give it up for the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. That's who we are. And we've got to believe that. Amen? Now, this morning, I want to look at verse 14 to 17 of Romans 8. And Paul tells us that we have a new spirit and a new mind. I want you to notice what Paul tells young Timothy. He tells young Timothy, he said, Young Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of timidity. Young Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you a spirit of anxiety. He's not given you a spirit of insecurity. But God has given you a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. That when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, then he gives us love. He gives us unconditional love. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Now, I want you to notice the connection between love and the absence of fear. First John tells us that fear has torment. Fear has torment. Listen to me. Fear will try to control your life. Fear will try to paralyze you. Fear will keep you from moving forward in your life. Fear will cripple you and keep you from living the overcoming life that God has called you to live. If Moses gave in to fear, the people of Israel would have never been delivered from Egypt. If Noah gave in to fear, Noah would have never built the ark. If David gave in to fear, he would have never killed the giant. If Solomon gave in to fear, he would have never built the temple. If Nehemiah gave in to fear, 
he would have never rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And so on and so on, we can see even Jesus, if he gave into fear in the garden when he said, Father, Abba, Abba, please, Abba, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, I will not give into fear, but I will do your will. And friend, when you give into fear, you get paralyzed and you, you don't go forward and do what God has called you to do. Fear is gripping. Fear is paralyzing. Fear is a killer of dreams. Fear is a killer of relationships. Fear is a killer of potential. Fear is a killer of possibilities. Fear is a, a killer of purpose and a killer of passion in your life. It will choke out God's will and God's word in your life. Now, I understand that there is a certain level of fear in the sense that the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there's a healthy kind of understanding about things that are dangerous and things that are awesome. But when fear takes over, when fear grips our heart, fear can paralyze us and it could cause us to shrink back from the things that God has called us to do in our life. And, and by the way, we're called to live by faith. And if you're living by faith, it means you're living way, way, way beyond your own capability. Come on, somebody help me out today. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, the spirit you receive does not make you a slave to fear again. And so here we, we recognize that, that Paul is helping us to understand what it means to be gripped by fear. The people of Israel were acquainted with slavery. They, they were in slavery for 400 years. They were under the mighty hand of the Romans. They understood what it was to feel like a slave, what it was to, to live like a slave. Now, the Romans, on the other hand, they understood slavery on the other end. They understood what it meant to, to have a slave. Some of them knew as well what it meant to be a slave and now to become a, a Roman citizen. Wow, amazing. And so Paul now is trying to explain this to the Romans. You have not received the spirit that makes you a slave again. And, 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 and fear has torment, the Bible says in 1 John. He says, but the perfect love of God casts out all fear. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has torment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's not made perfect in the understanding of God's love. And, and, and my concern today, my, my goal today for everyone in this room would understand how deep the love of God goes in your life. How deep the love of God goes in your heart. How wide is the love of God that your life might be established in the love of God so that it would drive out all fear. It would drive out the fear of trying to please God in the flesh. It would, it would drive out the fear of, 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 of trying so hard and, and feeling as if, well, well, what if I'm not good enough for God? What if, what if I don't do it the right way? Is God going to judge me? That's what Paul's talking about in the context of Romans chapter 8, that people were driven by the law. They were driven by doing all of these things, and, and, and they always knew that they were never good enough because the Bible says all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. So there's this constant fear that am I really going to go to heaven when I I die? Am I really going to have heaven when I die? You see, the Christianity is the only faith. It's the only, and I want to call it religion. It's not a religion, but in the world's eyes, Christianity is the only religion whereby we are released from fear, the fear of a God that's going to cast us into hell when we are born again. Listen to me. The truth of the matter is God is a holy God. He is a just God. But that's the gospel. That's the purpose of the gospel. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law. And now he gives to us 
his name. He gives to us salvation. He redeems us. He purchases us by his blood so that we might have eternal life, so that we would not live in fear of dying and going to hell. Now listen to me. Uh, that's why we need to be compassionate and loving to Muslims because Muslims don't know. They live their whole entire life trying really hard, praying five times a day, making sure they do this and making sure they do that. And they, they're very responsible people. But it's all driven by one thing. It's driven by fear. I remember speaking to this older lady, and my heart broke for her. I said, if you died today, do you know for certain you go to heaven? Oh, no, 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 we can't know that. We will never know that until we stand before the judge. God himself, God Almighty, and he determines whether or not we've done enough. You know, the Bible says, these things I write to you, my brothers and sisters, that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen to me. I know that I know that I know that I'm imperfect. I know that I fall short of God's glory. But I also know this one thing. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and because of what Jesus did and because I received the free gift of eternal life, now I know that I know that I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I'm found in Christ, and as a result of that, I have a joy, and I have a peace, and I have, I have been set free from the fear of not being good enough. Come on, somebody. I've been set free from the fear of not being good enough. See, Paul tells us that we have not received the spirit that drives us into fear, that pushes us into fear, that demands us to be perfect in fear. But the spirit that you receive is a spirit that brings about, listen to me, adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. The reason why you and I are winners, the reason why you and I are overcomers, the reason why you and I are victorious, that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, the reason why God is going to finish the work that he began in us, the reason why we win at the end, the reason why we can walk through every valley in our life, that, that, that the reason why we can face every situation, even death itself, and still be more than a conqueror is because our faith is rooted and founded in this powerful statement. We have been adopted by God. The most powerful theme in all the Bible is we have been adopted by God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're still the most funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life, but you've been adopted by God. Hallelujah. Because I might not adopt you been adopted by God. It is the most powerful theme in all of the Bible. When God sent his only begotten son into the world, when Jesus died for you and I, he didn't simply die to save us from slavery. He didn't simply die to save us from death. He didn't simply die to forgive us. He died to redeem us, to buy us back so we could be adopted into the family of God so that we can become children of God. Are you hearing me today? Do you really understand the implications of being adopted by God? Not a slave, but a child of God. Fully accepted, fully washed, fully redeemed, fully sanctified, fully justified, fully given all the rights of being a child of the Most High God. I want you to repeat after me. I am a child of God Almighty. I want you to say it again. I am a child of God Almighty. You see, the truth is most Christians know that in their head, but they don't live it out in their lives. They're like the prodigal son's older brother. You know, the saddest part of that story is not about the prodigal son. That's victorious because we all are the prodigal son, but we all can become the prodigal son's older brother. And, and, and the whole parable is actually written for two kinds of people. 
The first kind of person is the person who, who goes out in the world and does all these things and comes back and recognizes, wow, my God, my Father is still waiting for me. My, my Father loves me no matter what. He's willing to take me back again. Oh, the God of redemption, the God of second chances, the God of restoration, the God who redeems us, the God who loves us. Even when we've, we've, we've gone away from the Lord, he takes us back again. Hallelujah for a God who loves us. Glory to God. But that parable is also written for all the people in the church who think they're so religious, think they're so good, but it's all out of fear of having to try to be good enough for their Abba, for their father, and realizing that everything that God has belongs to them, but they live as though it doesn't. They live in fear. They're a slave. So you know the story. The son comes back. The father, he's so excited. He throws a big party. They're having a big party. The older son comes to the house and said, Dad, I hear all this music. What's going on? My son was lost. Now he's found. We need to rejoice. And the older son, instead of being happy for the younger son, he said, this son of yours, he, he did all of this, and this is what you do for him? And me? Me? I have worked like a slave. I have been a slave for you. I've obeyed everything you told me to do. I've worked hard, and not one time have you given me anything that I've ever wanted. And he said, son, all you had to do is ask and I would have given it to you and I'm here to tell you you've got a father in heaven who loves you with an everlasting love and all you have to do is ask and he'll give it to you if you need healing he'll give it to you if you need deliverance he'll give it to you if you need a sound mind he'll give it to you he loves you with an everlasting love and he wants to pour out his blessing upon you because you're his creation and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you even more hallelujah you just have to go to him and ask him hallelujah and no amount of good things that you could ever do could get God to love you more than he loves you right now some of you are struggling today with drugs and alcohol and all kinds of things and you think well I just I'm just not good enough for God friend join the club none of us are good enough for God we just look a little bit more religious but religion can't get to heaven no way Paul writes, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God loves you and he chose you. You didn't choose him. He, he chose you before the foundations of the earth. Ephesians chapter 1. What an incredible, glorious chapter. Ephesians chapter 1. God chose you before the world was ever created. Before you were ever thinking about God, God already chose you to be holy and without fault in his eyes in Christ Jesus. He goes on to tell us that you were adopted and your adoption was planned well in advance. Your adoption wasn't God's second thought. It wasn't God's second option. Your adoption into his family was God's first primary purpose. He said, before the foundations of the earth, God chose to make you holy and blameless and adopt you into his family. That was God's plan. When Adam and Eve sinned, we think, well, oh, God, God thought to himself, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, Adam and Eve sinned. Now what am I going to do? i got to come up with a plan. No, God's plan was throughout all of eternity that he would send his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we might be found in Christ throughout all of eternity. In his wisdom, in his sovereignty, he was sealing. He was sealing our redemption. He was sealing our eternity through Jesus Christ. It was his wisdom. It was his sovereignty that had planned that we might be adopted. Notice what he says in, in verse 5. God decided in advance. In advance. Everybody say in advance. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Verse 5. And it gave him great pleasure. 
I know we look at the Father and sometimes we think, well, you know, the Father's uptight. It's Jesus that goes to the Father. So, oh, please, do them a favor. Please, please, Father, please. No, no, Jesus is not begging the Father to adopt you. The Father wants to adopt you. Hallelujah. It was the Father's plan. And he thought about it in advance. I know it's too hard sometimes for us to understand that. We've got to receive it by faith because we don't understand. Because God's ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts that we can't understand. Why would God do it that way? Because he's God. And he understands that when he places all of who we are in Christ, then we are saved throughout all of eternity. Listen to me, my friend. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You were never an afterthought with God. But before the world was created, God planned to accept you into his wonderful royal family. Wow. You know, I, I know that every once in a while we, we turn on the TV and we see the royal family getting married or whatever. And we think to ourselves, wow, if I was a part of the royal family. And we start to daydream a little bit about walking down the aisle, you know, being married to royalty. And the truth of the matter is, is we, if we are born again by the power of God, we are, we have been adopted into God's royal family. Glory to God. The God is the king and we are his children. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That we are royalty. As Peter said, you're a holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. You are royalty. I want you to say that with me. I am royalty. Hold up your head and say, I am royalty. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm, I'm still the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life when I look in the mirror. But I'm royalty. I'm royalty. But we've got to understand our adoption cost God everything. Your adoption was incredibly costly to God. Now, I, I'm just blown away by people who have such love in their hearts to fly across the world to start the process of adopting a child. And man, it is not easy. When somebody adopts a child, it usually takes a long time. There is an incredible investment of time. There are so many sacrifices that go into adopting a child. It's very costly to adopt a child has to be done legally. But it's very costly. And I want you to consider for, the, for one moment what it costs God to adopt you into his family. That God gave you his very best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but be adopted, can I say, into the family of God. Your adoption was paid in full by the blood of Jesus. This is really important. The Bible tells us, so we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear sons. He is so rich in kindness and in grace. He's so kind. God, your father, is so kind. David said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his grace endures forever. Grace, God given us what we need, when we need it, even though we don't deserve it. Unmerited favor. God treating us as royalty. God treating us as children. God treating us as sons and daughters. God treating us as royalty. Man, he did that all by his grace. We don't deserve it, but in his grace, he treats us like royalty. He sees us like kings and queens. God, glory to God. But what did it cost him? The Bible says he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us of our sins. Galatians 4. Galatians 4 tells us when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons, the word redeemed 
means to obtain or to set free by paying a price. John Piper writes concerning God's adopting us. Adoption did for God and does for us involve legal status of a child. The legal status of a child. Listen again. Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. Legal status. God could not just simply say to you, I want to forgive you. God could not just simply say, you know what, I know you sinned, but I'm in a good mood today. I'm going to forgive you. But God had to go through, listen to me, every adoption has to go through the system, the legal system, and that's the right way to do it. My wife and I, we went to Romania, and we saw all these beautiful little children in the hospital, and they had no parents. Man, we wanted to, we wanted to put them in, their, in our pockets and just take them home. I mean, it's just like, let's take as many as we can. You know, let's just, let's just do this thing, man. You know, you just, you, and the truth of the matter is the Romanian government, they, they, they really clamped down on that because obviously there were people that were taking advantage of that, and, and children were being sold. Into, it, was, it was crazy what was going on. And so every, every organization, every government, they have to have a legal process for people to go through to adopt a child. Well, listen to me. God had to go through the legal process to adopt you. Can you imagine that? God couldn't go around it because he's a just God. God couldn't go around it because he created the law. And the law tells us that if we sin against the holy God, we need a holy payment. The Lord tells us that if we're a liar, a murderer, a coveter, whatever it might be, that, that we're separated from God. Our sin has separated us from God. Listen, it makes a lot of sense if you really think about it. God is a just and holy but loving God. So what does he do? He goes through the legal process. He sends his son. You know, God could have done it like that. Instead, he sits in the waiting room for year after year after year after year, hundreds of years. God sits in the waiting room getting ready to serve the papers to the devil. Come on, somebody. But he's got to serve it through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, legal status, born under the law, legal status, to redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry out, Daddy, God, Abba, Father. There were legal realities that God had to deal with. His own justice and law demanded that we would be punished and excluded from his presence because of our sin and righteousness required and, 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 and punishment demanded and God had satisfied, listen to me, his justice and his law in order to adopt sinners into his family. This he did by the life, by the death, and by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen, glory to God. So that when God adopted us, he transformed us, listen to me, into children of God. Now, I want you to notice the two words that Paul uses. Paul uses, number one, he says we are sons of God because we've been adopted. We're sons of God. Now, listen, women, this is just a statement, but it includes everyone, no matter who they are. Why? Because Paul the apostle says that in Christ, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no slave, there's no free, there's no women, there's no man. We're all one in Christ, glory to God. So when he talks about sons, he needs to use the word sons because back then it was the firstborn son that would be the recipient or he would be the benefactor of the father's inheritance. So when the father died, all of the inheritance would actually go to the firstborn. Now, this is really important. The firstborn wasn't given more of the inheritance because he was more special. The firstborn was given the inheritance because he was vitally important because when he stepped into the role of the firstborn after the father died, he took on being the father. So now his siblings would have to look at him as now this is my daddy, this is my father. 
And so he was given more of the inheritance so that he could share the inheritance with his siblings. Listen to me. This is so important. Every one of us in this room have an inheritance from God. We're going to talk about it in a few moments. We are the benefactors. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And when we gain what God wants us to have, he gives it to us for one purpose, so that we can share it with other people in the world that don't know Christ. Come on, somebody. So that we can take care of our human brothers and sisters and share with them the inheritance that we have received from the Lord. Now, they can only receive that through Jesus Christ, but we're the ones that are to share it with the world. We're to go out and share it with the world. But I want you to notice the two phrases he uses, sons of God and children of God. Sonship is positional. Sonship is positional. So when he says that God redeemed us and made us sons of God, he's saying now you are a co-heir with the firstborn over all creation. And who is the firstborn over all creation? Jesus is the firstborn. And the word firstborn in the scriptures talks about authority. It talks about position. And so now we become a co-heir with Jesus, all right? And as a result of that, now we are not only co-heirs of Jesus, but heirs of God, and as a result of that, positionally, we have this position of being a son of God. But now, he tells us, he uses another term. He says, not only are you a son positionally, but now you are also a child of God. Now, why does he use the word child? Because a child, a true child of someone, has the nature of their parents. Listen to me. Whoever your parents are, you have their DNA. You have their genes. You have their DNA, right? Now, it's a little tough. I understand, and my heart goes out for people that have been adopted because, you know, the truth of the matter is they know they've got another parent somewhere. They know they've got a mom. They know they have a dad. And so often for people that have been adopted, they look, they long for their biological parents. Why? Because there's a connection there. I want you to understand what God does to you. He doesn't just take you in his family and say, look, I know you have another father. I know you have another mother. I'm going to treat you like my, you're my, my child, but you're really not my child. No, 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 no. When you get born again by the power of God, listen to me. Jesus said, unless the man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and you have the blood of Jesus running through your veins, you're not just somebody that had another father. You're, you're a child of God. You you become a fully, fully, fully spirit-filled, redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus, child of the living God. Hallelujah. And when God looks at you, he doesn't look like, he doesn't look at you and say, no, you had another father. You have only one father, and that father is in heaven. Glory to God. You are a child of the living God. Come on, somebody say amen. Glory to God. God is not just putting up with you in his house. You're his son. You're his daughter. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And as a result of that, then you are an heir of God. And the Bible tells us that when God adopted you, he poured out his Holy Spirit in you. And now the Holy Spirit, listen to what it says, the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that you are the child of God. I can't tell you how many times the enemy wants to come and condemn me because of my shortcomings. And there's a lot of you in this room. There's a lot of you that are watching via live stream. There's a lot of you that will be watching in the next service, in the 1245 service today. That you struggle with whether or not God really loves you because you're not perfect. And so often when you sin, you make a mistake. Guilt and condemnation wants to take over your life. But that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and he testifies and he reminds you, you are God's child. That you are a child of the living God. He says, because you are sons, positionally, God sent his spirit into our hearts so that we might now cry, you're my father. Abba, Father. See, sons, children. Positionally, you're a son. You're a daughter. 
spiritually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you cry out, no, 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 no. Devil, I'm a child of God. The next time the devil tries to condemn you, the next time the devil tries to tell you you're not a child of God, remind him of what actually happened when Jesus died on the cross. That when Jesus died on the cross, he went down to hell where you were kept in bondage, where you were bound to eternal separation from God. And he served a paper to the devil. And the paper said, this is my son. This is my daughter. I bought them back. I paid for them in full. And it's signed by my blood. Open the prison doors and let them free. Friend, you are free. The Bible says, whom the son has set free is free indeed. You're free from sin. You're free from guilt. You're free from condemnation. You're free to live for God because he's your Abba. He's your daddy God. He's your papa. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say, thank you, Father. You're my father. You're my Abba. Abba, hallelujah. You love me with an everlasting love. And there's nothing in the whole world that'll separate you from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Oh, I'm, I don't know. I get excited about this. Nobody else does, but I do. God is your Abba Father. Daddy God. Now, I know that it's been taught that the word for Abba is Daddy. The word for Abba is Father, but, but it's used in such an endearing way that when Jesus is in the garden, and it was only Jesus that used the word Abba, the Jews would never use the word Abba because they didn't see God as their Abba, their endearing Father, their close and loving Father. They saw a strict Father. They, they saw a Father that was wanting to bless them and send them to hell. They saw a father that said, you must keep the law. You have to keep the law. If you don't keep the law, I'm gonna send you to hell. And there are some folks in this room today, you have such a hard time with the, the word father. And let's be honest, because some of you, your fathers weren't so good. Or maybe your father was absent, like myself. My father was never there. He died when I was a little boy. Or maybe you as a child, you saw your father walk out, never to come back again. Or maybe you had a father who just constantly told you, you have to do better. This is not good enough. B plus doesn't cut it. I want an A plus out of you. Or you're just never going to be good enough. Or maybe worse than that, your father abused you physically, verbally, maybe even sexually, and it's just, man, I just, I, I just can't understand. I don't understand God. Friend, the Bible says, you who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your Father. How much more will your Father in Heaven give you everything that you need? Your Father in Heaven is a perfect Father. Your Father in Heaven is not an abusive Father. Your Father in Heaven saw that you were struggling and instead of telling you to do better he actually came and took your place and he took all of the beatings and all of the punishment so that you might have eternal life you got an Abba father who loves you Psalms 103 says as a father has compassion on his children so the Lord will have compassion on those who fear him. Matthew 6 says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Matthew 7, if then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Oh, your father loves you so much. And he's waiting for you to come and ask him. He loves you so much. He wants to pour out every good thing upon you. First John 3 says, 
See what great love the Father has lavished. I love that word lavished. 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 Lavished upon you that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is because it doesn't know our Father. Listen to me. For someone in this room this morning, it's time for you to simply throw down your defenses and receive your Father's love. I know it may take some time, but it's time for you to receive your Father's love. When God adopted you and I, like I said before, he made you an heir of God. Because you are sons, God sent his spirit into your heart so that you cry, Abba, Father, so that you're no longer slaves, but an heir of God, sons of God and heirs of God. God made a legal document, signed it in his son's blood so that we could legally become his sons and daughters. And now we get the right to share in all of the glory of God. I love Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Say inheritance in the saints. Do you really understand what belongs to you as a child of God? 1 Peter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for us in heaven. Everybody say, in heaven. Who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter tells us we have an inheritance that cannot perish. It's not subject to decay. It's not subject to rotting. That's why Jesus tells us, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break into steel, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now, I, I, I understand that all of us in this room, we, we'd love for our Abba kind of throw us down a couple of bucks. You know, make it a little bit easier for us in this lifetime. But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't live just for this world. And the truth is, the more God blesses you, the more you ought to give it away. Because the truth is, Jesus said that when you store up your treasure in heaven, no one can take it away from you. Now, I say this often, but please, for a moment, entertain me. The truth is, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. You can't take it with you. And there are too many Christians that are looking for God to just simply give them more money, to give them more things, because we think that God is a heavenly Santa Claus to make this life really easy. But you know, the disciples were not caught up with this life. Listen to me, look at me. The disciples were not caught up with, okay, I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, therefore I want more money. No, you hear their prayers, it's like, God, give me more souls. You hear the disciples' prayer, they're like, God, give me more grace to preach the gospel all over the world. God, give me grace, Lord God, to love people unconditionally. Lord, and if you put money in my hands, I'm going to give it away anyway. Because they were banking on, they were investing in eternity. They were not held to the things of this world. You see, it's a faulty gospel that we're hearing today. It's a gospel of prosperity. You can have more, you can have more, you can have more, you can have more. Hey, listen, you keep on asking God for more. You just keep on doing that. Give me more money, God, so I can give it away. Hallelujah. And God will put it in your hands, pressed down, shaking together and running over. You see, they weren't uptight about all of this. They weren't even uptight about dying. The disciples weren't uptight about losing their lives for the gospel. 
You never hear about that. They were so bold, they were so radical, they weren't, they weren't even afraid of being put to death. Why? Because they recognized they were just passing through and their inheritance was kept in heaven for them. And they recognized that inheritance would never spoil and it would never fade. Oh, you know, when you buy a new car, how many of you have ever bought, rented, borrowed, whatever, a new car? Come on. You get in that new car, and it's, oh, boy. Hmm. I love the smell of a new car. They even have a spray now that you can spray in your car. New car spray. I don't care how many times you spray the car with the new car spray. It's getting older. And you can smell it all you want, but that's not going to help the carburetor if they have carburetors anymore. And that's not going to help the ignition. And it's not going to, it's going to fade away. I love buying new clothes, but after a while they fade away. Everything's going to fade away. But Peter tells us we have an inheritance that can neither spoil or fade or rot or be taken away. That's amazing. But our inheritance, the Bible says, is kept for us in heaven. It's reserved in heaven. But lastly, as the worship team comes, our adoption also includes, now listen to me, I know we don't want to hear this, but I got to preach the whole gospel and the whole message. You know, we have a lot of pastors that are actually, when it comes to the Bible, they're biblically performing malpractice. Because they're taking one scripture here, and they're taking one scripture here, and they take one scripture here, and they're not teaching it in its context. So they'll take a scripture from here, and they'll take a scripture from here, and they'll get everybody ramped up, and they'll get everybody excited, and it's a great service, and it's a great sermon, Pastor, and blah, 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 and it's biblically inaccurate, or it's not well-balanced. And as a result of that, we've got pastors that are providing people false hope in a false doctrine. Remember the context of Romans 8. Remember I started Romans 8 with the fact that Paul tells us that we are more than conquerors in every situation we face in our life. And Paul says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. In what things? In suffering, in pain, in persecution, in famine, in nakedness, in sword, in peril. He says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, neither death, nor life, nor demons, nor powers, or principalities, nothing in the world, no valley, no trial, no fire, no persecution could ever separate me from the love of God. But, he says, we will go through suffering in our life. But in the context, listen to me, this is why we're more than conquerors, because in the context of suffering, we can declare my present situation could never compare to the future glory that will be revealed in me. We're going to pick that up in a couple of weeks. But I want you to notice Romans 8. I want you to notice Romans 8 verse 17. You see, because our adoption also includes, somebody would you please call up the worship team, they're at the diner right now and tell them to come back. <laughs> Our adoption also includes being identified with Christ. Our adoption includes suffering with Jesus. How was that burger? <laughs> Our adoption includes standing with Jesus. Our adoption includes being persecuted with Jesus. Our adoption includes being willing to be associated with Jesus in every way so that we can share in all of his glory. I want you to notice Romans 8:17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Look, look at me. Shh. Stop thinking about that burger. We are heirs of God, and we're co-heirs with Christ. If, if, 
Everybody say if. If is a big word, amen? If we share in Christ's suffering, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his what? In his glory. Paul the Apostle said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know, listen to me, the fellowship of his suffering. Paul understood on the way to glory, he was going to suffer. On the way to glory, he was going to face persecution. On the way to glory, he was going to go through things that he could not understand in his life. He was going to go through pain. He was going to go through persecution. He was going to go through suffering. Now listen to me. But Paul knew that on the other side of his suffering, he was going to share in the glory of God. How many of you want to see the glory of God? I said, how many of you want to see the glory of God? How many of you, you want to see Jesus face to face? How many of you want to walk on streets of gold? How many of you want Jesus to bring you into your, your man to say, here it is? How many of you want to see Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his power, in all of his might, in all of his maj majesty, in all of his splendor? Listen to me. You're going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to have to walk through suffering in your life to get on the other side. But friend, I want you to know that Jesus said, he that overcomes, glory to God, in the book of Revelation, he said, he that overcomes, I'll give him a tablet. I'll write his name on that tablet. I'll give him the hidden manna from heaven. Glory to God. I'll make him a son of God, a child of God. Listen to me. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to come again. And he's going to ride on a white horse. Oh, and we're going to look up. Hallelujah. Not us. We're not going to look up. We're going to be with him. Somebody's going to look up and they're going to say, hey, look, it's not a plane. It's not a <laughs> it's not Superman it's Jesus and look he's riding on a white horse and he's got a sword in his hand and this fire coming out of his mouth hallelujah and the word of the Lord says, and they shall call him King of kings and Lord of lords. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he's Lord to the glory of the Father. And look, and look over there. Look behind him on that horse right there. That's Steve Malazzo. Glory to God. Oh, oh, look at there. There's Carlos Beltre. Oh, look at there. There's, there's, there's no Ruiz. Uh, hey, look at there. There's Lisa Malone. Whoa, look at us. We're riding with Jesus in glory. Hallelujah. And we set our hearts. Listen to me. Look at me, Christians. And we set our hearts on this truth. And we set our hearts on this truth and we set our hearts on this revelation that this present suffering could never compare to the future glory that will be revealed in us I want you to stand to your feet right now would you please I want you to close your eyes listen to me there's coming a day when Jesus will come again what a powerful revelation. And we, the children of the Most High God, we who are heirs of the glorious Father, we who are joint heirs with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, will one day be the recipients of God's glorious riches. And I know that there's, there are those in this room today with your head bowed, your eye closed. Maybe you're in the Cafe. Maybe you're watching this. Maybe you're watching this in the, the 1245 service. There are those that are here. You're discouraged this morning. You're tired. You're weary. You're afraid. You're lonely. You feel guilty. You feel unsure of what the future holds for you. Romans 8, 12 to 17 is the call of the overcomer. I am a son of God. Romans 8, 12 to 17 is the call of the overcomer. I am God's daughter. 
I am God's child. I am a child of God Almighty. And one day my Abba, my father, my daddy, he will come and he will wipe away every tear and he will take away every sorrow. No more fear, no more doubt, no more worry, no more insecurity, no more discouragement because I have a father in heaven. He is my loving father. He is my kind father. He is my compassionate father. He is my all-knowing, all-caring, all-seeing Father. He is my generous Father. He is my compassionate Father. He is my merciful Father. He is my strong Father. He is my forgiving Father. He is my good, 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 good Father. He's my righteous Father. He's my all-caring Father. He's my sovereign Father. He's my ever-present Father. In times of trouble, He's always there. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He sees the worst in me and loves me the most hallelujah he's my gracious father he's my grace-filled father he's my healing father he's the father who is pleased to give me all things glory to God and maybe this morning you're struggling to accept your father's love this morning right now God your father is issuing you an invitation I know that your life has been hard. I know you've been in places that you should have never been in. I know you have done things. But son, come home to your father today. Daughter, come home to your father today. My child, Come home. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for anyone who's here that simply needs to come home. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not certain that if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I need to have that assurance that I'm a child of God. Right now, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, in the balcony, on the main floor, in the cafe, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I need Jesus to be my father. Raise your hand right now. God bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. In the balcony, I need Jesus to be my father. Come home today. You need to come home today. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. In a moment, I'm going to invite so many of you to respond. But as an act of faith, as a symbol, symbolically, I'm going to be standing here for a moment and I'm going to invite you to come home today. Symbolically, I'm going to invite you to come home today. I want the altar counselors to come. And here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor. If you're in the balcony, please, please, don't let that balcony keep you from responding today. You know, let me tell you, the reason why I do this every Sunday it's because there's just something powerful about making a decision now. Not when you get home, but now. God, I'm, I'm turning my life over to you, God. Now I'm trusting you, God. Now I'm responding to you. So I want you right now in this room, please, please, as much as possible. I know some of you have to go, but no moving around. This is the most important part of the service. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to say, do you know for sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. And they say, I don't know. I want you to grab them by the hand and say, come on, let's go to our Father today. Let's go home today. Come on. And then I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to come meet me right here. And if you raised your hand, come on. Be a person of faith. Be a person of faith. Be a person of action. Don't just be a hearer, but be a doer of the word and respond. I want to pray for you today. I want you right now on the count of three to turn to your neighbor. And I want you to say, if you died today, you know for sure that you go to heaven. If they say, I don't know, I want you to grab them by the hand. And I want you to say, let's go home. Let's go to our Father today. One, two, three. Come on, do it right now. And I want you to respond and come out of your seat. And come greet me. Come, come meet me right now. Come on, come on. Get out of your seat right now. Come on, come on, come on, come on. All over this place today. Come on, come on. Come on, say, I'm coming to my father today. Come on, I need to come to daddy today. I need to come to daddy today. Come on, come on, come to daddy today. We want to pray for you. We want to love on you a little bit. 
We're in love on you today. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Counselors, I want you to get, I want you to get with somebody right now. I don't want anybody feeling alone. Come on. Counselors, come on, get somebody. Get somebody, hug on somebody right now. Come on, come on, you need to come home, come home, come on, come on, come home. Anybody else need to come home right now? You need to come home right now. Amen, amen. Come on. We'll still wait a few moments. You need to come home. You say, God, I'm coming home to you today. I'm coming home to you today, God. Come on. You need to come home. Get out of your seat right now and just come to Papa. Come to Daddy today. Say, yes, Lord. I'm giving my life to you, Lord God. I know it's just the beginning and I need to grow. I need to learn. But I'm coming to Papa today. I want everybody else that's in this room today, would you just raise your hand towards heaven? Everybody. Everybody just raising your hand towards heaven today. And the ministers, the counselors are counseling people right now. There's still time for you to come today. If you need to come today, if you need to give your life to Christ today, I want you to get out of your seat and come. And we'll pray for you today. Anybody else you need to come, you come. But everybody else, just raise your hands. And I want you just to say with me, Abba Father, Daddy God, thank you that I've been adopted into your family. I am your child, created to do good works, created to know you. I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside. Holy Spirit, thank you that you will remind me on a daily basis that I am your, the child of God. Thank you, God, that I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I have a spirit of love and power and a sound mind in the name of